friends, welcome to More of Jesus with Pastor Amy. At Dinner Church, we have been studying Luke chapter 10, and most of the beginning of this chapter sounds like a normal story, a narrative. Like, here's what happened. Jesus commissioned these disciples, gave them instructions, sent them out, and they came back, and they reported success. But there are a couple of verses in there that might sound a little wacky to modern readers, and I don't think we're going to have enough time to discuss these two verses this week, so I wanted to break them down here. Episode 16. After they came back and told Jesus how well it went, Jesus said in Luke 10, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And then in verse 19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Anyone else like, whoa, (laughs) that seemed to come out of left field. What in the world is Jesus talking about and what does he mean? by that. So I want to take these two verses and first I'd like to share what I think are some unhelpful interpretations and then I'll share some solid biblical scholarship that I think can help demystify these couple of verses for us. So first, Satan falling from heaven like lightning, verse 18. Now there are different traditions in Christianity that handle the biblical figure of Satan differently. And if you feel confused about Satan, I can totally understand why. Because some people get a little out there with it. Um, Some people use this figure of Satan as like a scare tactic. Satan, demons, hell, to induce fear. And the ones that do this a lot can go even so far as to use fear as a tool to control people, to manipulate people. Like, you better fall in line with what our church teaches you or else the devil, Satan, hell, demons, yada yada. When it's done like that, it's obviously something that can cause significant harm. Um, A word nowadays is spiritual abuse, I think would fall into that category. And then on the other end of the spectrum, maybe even a reaction against all that, is to just dismiss the biblical figure of Satan as not being real, a metaphor only, not actually a being who exists. And then others just choose to ignore references to Satan, hell, demons, because it is so problematic and confusing. And then we go to verse 19, and it's the snakes and scorpions thing. Whoa, what? Sounds a little bit like a scene from Jumanji (laughs) or something. And actually, there are Christians throughout history that have taken Jesus's words in verse 19 literally and bring venomous snakes into their worship service to try to prove that they're so spiritual they can't be harmed by them. Typically, that's been like charismatic traditions and in the southeastern United States, I guess the same place where like most of the alien landings happen in the 20th century in history. um, One source that I read had actually done research and recorded up to 100 deaths in church because people were bitten by snakes. Uh, So these are obviously maybe the unhelpful interpretations of these scriptures. I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers or be an expert in angelic or spiritual beings, but there is some solid biblical scholarship that I think can really be helpful and bring these verses to life for us in a good way. 
I say this all the time and I'll say it again. When you hear or read weird stuff in the Bible that's really hard to understand, study the context. Instead of asking us as modern people what we think about who Satan is, whether that's like a pop culture thing, like a little guy in a red suit with horns, if we want to learn about in context, we need to ask what Jesus might have meant in his first century Jewish culture to his first century Jewish hearers and readers about Satan. And the word Satan in Hebrew literally means the accuser, the one who accuses the people of God before God. Think like sly prosecuting attorney, dishonest, manipulative, jerk prosecuting attorney, right? Maybe you did the thing wrong, maybe you didn't, but this prosecuting attorney is sure gonna embellish it, make it sound a lot worse than it is, maybe even make up lies on you. They, This prosecuting attorney might also, um, outside of court, kind of convince you to do more stuff so that he can then accuse you for in court. Like in the Garden of Eden, when this serpent tried to convince them to eat of the fruit and then they need to be punished. They did the wrong thing. Look, God, these people. Um, so like if God's plan is to redeem, restore, reconcile, bring wholeness to people and to creation, then Satan, this accuser's diabolical plan is to bring people down, to completely be in rebellion against God's plan. And every time you and I, according to this Hebrew understanding of the figure of Satan, every time you and I f get tricked by his cunning or believe his lies, we just feed this even further. So with that understanding of the figure of Satan, let's talk about the gospel message. Uh, that if you have called on the name of Jesus to forgive you for the thing you've done, there is complete forgiveness and mercy and grace and cleansing from that, John, 1 John 1, 9. So like, even if the accuser tries to beat you up with it, the gospel teaches us to be confident and have assurance that um, the Lord's forgiveness is complete, that we don't need to keep beating ourselves up. That sometimes takes time. It's a process. Maybe we've got to make amends for the thing we've done. God is working with us, but the, the whole idea is God's business is to restore and forgive and make new, and the accuser is just going to keep on accusing. So these Hebrew people would have been familiar with the book of Job, that Satan is the one accusing Job before God in the heavenly court. Also, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. So like, not only is Jesus speaking to an ancient Jewish audience and using a familiar figure to them in their way of understanding spirituality. He's also making a direct scriptural reference in this Luke 10 verse 18 here to Isaiah chapter 14. So even if you and I read this and as modern readers, we just completely miss this, this reference here. The ancient Jewish audience would have heard these words of Jesus and gone, aha, he's, he's talking about Isaiah chapter 14. They would have immediately gotten this illusion. So in Isaiah chapter 14, it, there's a sort of a taunting song about their victory over this king of Babylon for, for God's people. And 
the, there's a, a story within that about a heavenly being, literally in Hebrew, the shining one in the Greek Septuagint, the morning star that is exiled from heaven and thrown down because he tried to make himself equal with God in his arrogance. And then also in Revelation chapter 12, starting with verse 8, listen to these similarities. It says this, but he, the serpent, was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and all his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Listen here for this, for the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. You can also look up Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 1 through 19. And there are more. But I bring up all these verses, not so that necessarily we can kind of get all the details of this historical event, but so that we can peek into the faith stories, the traditions, the worldview of Jesus' original audience and the lenses uh, in the world of even Jesus himself as a Jew. So to the original audience, these verses weren't weird at all in this story. As Jesus is rejoicing with these disciples that they had success in their mission, it made complete sense for them, for him to reference these two different sacred scripture verses. And as they're restoring people to wholeness and defeating the powers of evil, he just he repeats a story that is familiar to them the way they understand the spiritual world. Kind of like, I've seen this spiritual reality you believe in. I've seen it happen behind these victories that you just had on the mission field. And I imagine Jesus saying this with a twinkle in his eye and just laughing and chuckling and rejoicing with them. I don't think it's important to analyze the details, like when did Satan fall like lightning from heaven? That's not the important question here. The verb tense even that's used here is sort of ambiguous. It's the imperfect and it's like I have repeatedly seen visions of Satan's fall or I was watching Satan fall from heaven or something like that. Like. Who knows? This is mysterious stuff. It's also apocalyptic literature, which, as it is written, is supposed to be symbolic, highly symbolic and cryptic in nature. So when this happened isn't as important as what it signifies. And what it signifies is shows over Satan, you are being defeated. And Jesus rejoices in this truth that they are experiencing together in this moment um, of these visions of defeat that Jesus has had. Okay, verse 19, snakes and scorpions. Now a serpent is a metaphor for evil forces in their scriptures, like in the Garden of Eden. Um, and there's a cryptic verse in the Garden of Eden, um, Genesis 3.15, that says, like, the serpent will strike the human's heel, but the humans will crush the serpent's head. Same idea. Ultimate defeat of the forces of evil eventually, not just in Revelation, but even predicted here in the book of Genesis. But not only is serpent sort of a representative of evil for them, um, 
there's another specific verse <laughs> that Jesus is referencing. And again, we would maybe miss it, but this ancient audience of Jews that Jesus is speaking to would have caught on right away. And they would have been familiar with this. This time it's Psalm 91. Now Psalm 91 is an incredible Psalm all about God's protection for God's people. In that Psalm, it says in verse nine, if you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. That is almost identically what Jesus said. No harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent. And in verse 13, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. It's almost the same thing. Now, you'd have to do more in-depth research about the scorpion-lion connection, but the Greek word for serpent can also be translated dragon. And so this all starts to make sense from an ancient perspective when we look at our modern English translations. And you might say, Pastor Amy, why is all of this important? All of these different Bible verses. I don't think it's a responsible interpretation to take Jesus literally and play around with venomous snakes in church. I do think Jesus is reminding them of this Psalm 91 and all of the promises of God's protection that were so important to them and showing them how these sacred promises from Psalm 91 are coming true in their own lives right then in this missionary journey to celebrate with them and reinforce their faith using the same faith language they were used to. Now, God doesn't always automatically shield God's people from evil though. Jesus says nothing will harm you because that's a reference to Psalm 91, but Jesus himself was hurt and killed with evil people's plans. And even these early Christians were victims of persecution and martyrdom. So that's a theological discussion for another day. But the main point here is that Jesus inaugurated the coming of the kingdom of heaven the reign of God. And as he announces this, he then points to this situation and celebrates with them these instances of defeat of the powers of evil, which will ultimately be completely decisive and the work completely finished someday. But we get to see glimpses of it now and rejoice in those victories. So I hope this helped demystify Luke chapter 10 verses 18 and 19 for you. And I hope you put your faith in the God who has the final victory. Amen.